Hi, and thanks for joining us for another episode of Enlightened Conversations. Each week, we invite guests to share their views on the world, work, and their personal lives in an enlightened way. Our hosts have been chosen especially to role model just how we do an enlightened conversation. This episode is produced by Michelle Lightworker and sponsored by the Lightworker Foundation. My name is Raul, your angelic messenger. Thank you so much for joining us today in another episode of Enlightened Conversations. I'm extremely excited today to have a guest uh, of the caliber of Jay Cooper. Jay Cooper has been in touch with the spirit since a very young age. Jake is a near-death experience survivor at the age of five. From this, Jake has always been open and in touch with the spirit realm. He is inspired to spread his experience and message to others and to bring lightness to the topic of death and to help others re-remember their own spiritual truth. Jake has been a serious seeker of metaphysics since a young age. He has practiced and studied yoga and meditation and for many years, he have had many life-altering experiences. Through this, Jake also became a Reiki master and a Reiki practitioner and studied under many intuitive masters. He's also a guest speaker at the Eyes of Learning Metaphysical Center, and he's written articles and blogs for a magazine such as The Lightworker Advocate Magazine. Jake Cooper. Welcome to Enlightened Conversations. Okay, wow, thank you, thank you. The day is finally here that you and I are, are doing this and uh, it's, it's an honor for me to be on the program with you on the show and uh, I look forward to really touching up on many, many significant areas and uh, you know, it's a pleasure of mine. Thank you so much. Jake, why don't we start with your recent trip Sedona in Arizona. Take us, take us on that little journey, please. Oh, awesome. Yeah, we, we could do the whole timeline from closest to most furthest, but uh, Sedona was, was a wonderful trip, and I know Michelle, you know, is going to go out, out to America soon, but uh, for anyone who hasn't been to Sedona, uh, it's a place that I go to all the time, um, you know, particularly because of its own alignment, uh, its galactic alignment. It's a you know it's known as a vortex capital in the United States, but uh, for me it's a place uh, of that I connect with a lot of like-minded people, and uh, you could just walk there and really feel uh, a tremendous sense of peace. And a lot of that has to do with uh, the fact that uh, the brainwave frequencies of all the people there are a lot calmer and more deeper, and uh, you feel that and you pick that up. And, you know, if you could pick up on energy, you could certainly pick up on uh, brainwave frequencies. So, um, you know, you get very deep there, but uh, it is a, a place of ancient uh, history. I think people have just jumped on uh, the bandwagon of it, so to speak, but it's been around uh, for quite some time. You know, natives used to draw vortexes and what the vortex looked like on mountains. So it's... Uh, a place of great heritage and great roots, and it's always been a spiritual hotbed for any seeker. Yeah. Brilliant. I guess that from my point of view, chatting with you is the idea of truly connecting at a, at a heart and a soul level. And talking about that connection, we're going back a little bit in time and tell us about that near-death experience when you were five, please. 
Oh, absolutely. Uh, today almost marks the year anniversary of my coming out party when I first shared my experience uh, with the Eyes of Learning Center. And ever since then, it's just been taken off. But uh, ironically, the first place where I spoke about my near-death experience was the same town where I had it about 20 years later, uh, or earlier, I should say. I had my near-death experience when I was five years old, and it's something that I carried with me for my entire lifetime. And in August, uh, for those of you who may not know, I'm going to be joining the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I was an invited guest speaker out in the Colorado Convention. Uh, uh, the experience is something that I share with many groups and people and whoever is meant to be there will be there. Um, but uh, it's something that I've, I've, you know, it's one of the, my greatest blessings, but it's also been a big hurdle to overcome, uh, you know, from all the trauma that I experienced, obviously, at such a young age and uh, having to live a life trying to uh, put into words or feelings or understandings and to process what exactly I experienced and went through. That was pretty hard, but, uh, you know, I think our bodies catch up with our minds, you know, as we get older. Uh, I think as a young guy, you know, your body and soul and everything is just trying to get transitioned to one another and in parallel. So as I've gotten older, I've been able to really come more uh, into this experience from a deeper connection and, you know, everything working more uh, in parallel with one another. Jake, many of our viewers out there probably have been in the same situation that you have, and they're trying to sort of like see a connection between your story and theirs, perhaps. Could you perhaps be a little bit more specific on what happened when you were five, please? Oh, absolutely. Um, and it's funny that you say many people are interested because, you know, people who survive near-death experience, it's a whole uh, deep community. Uh, my diagnosis and label of uh, near-death, you know, happened from reading a book. It was called Embraced by the Light by an author by the name of Betty Aidy. Uh, it's one of the most well-known near-death uh, books of all time, and it was a very pioneering book. Uh, but, you know, it's, you know, when I talk about my near-death experience, it usually is around an hour and a half. So to try to make it short, uh, you know, as, as I can, um, go for what, 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 what I'll say is, um, you know, narrative wise, I was five years old and at the time I was in, you know, a car and while I was in the car, I was very short on breath. I was with a group, uh, I was with my siblings and family friends and uh, as I'm trying to breathe in air, literally nothing was coming out, but I was still, um, you know, stubborn that I was going to enjoy the day at the park as a five-year-old boy, uh, you know, so then I went to the park and then all of a sudden, um, as I was about to go on a slide in the park, I literally tried to breathe in air and then nothing came out. And then every single part of my body, one by one, like a power breaker, uh, really shut down. And I was suffocated and I was put into nothing. Um, you know, and the last part that I was in was my brain. You know, so I was five years old and I was able to look down at my body as well as my brain. And when I looked at my brain, I was able to see every different different part in function and I understood the brain from a very young age almost like looking at my palm right now and uh, they say that we only use 85% of our brains I'm sorry they say we only use 15% of our brains and we don't use 85% of it and that's very true from my experience because we try to understand the brain with the brain 
So I think from that experience, I really understand that you have to use your out of, uh, you have to lose a lot of your higher wisdoms and uh, deeper uh, spiritualized to really understand what's going on. But uh, uh, anywho, as you know, the last part that I was in was my brain. And um, all of a sudden from a deprivation of oxygen, at the time I had a disease called whooping cough, which caused me to suffocate. It was popular when I was a child, but it's since been vaccinated. Uh, but uh, as I was trying to breathe in air, nothing came out of my brain, literally was deprived of oxygen. And like a cord that snapped in half, it just broke. And then all of a sudden, openings like crazy started to happen where I was able to really, um, you know, and I'm, and I'm sure I'm missing a couple steps, but to be short, um, I was uh, immediately put into the angelic realm where I saw hundreds and thousands of angels that were floating up and down very softly and very slowly. And also I was going upwards about a thousand miles an hour. I know in our human experience, we have a limitation of what good could feel like or what happiness feels like. When you cross over to the other side, there's nothing stopping you from however good you could possibly feel. So um, it was quite a euphoric sensation to say the least because I was going upwards, upward, upwards. And in the new age, we talk about vibrational frequency. Uh, that's very true when you cross over. It's what it is. It's just a radio dial and you turn it up and it's very, uh, it's a high pitched kind of uh, frequency that's coexisting at the same time as our earthly reality, just in another uh, radio station, so to speak. So uh, when I was there, I was able to really um, tune into my spiritual guys. I had a male and a female entity who were joining me while I was going down the slide. And as I'm going down the slide, you know, I was seeing hundreds of thousands of angels going up and down. And they were very similar to, similar to angels that you see uh, within art, you know, in churches and stuff like that. They're like childlike angels and they were going up and down. And what they were doing was they were uh, sending, you know, energy to myself and the people around me uh, in this time and space. And it was just the most beautiful symphony of angels that I've ever seen. Uh, and to the right and left of me were my two spiritual guides and they were just massive and beautiful. And uh, what I recalled at that moment was that I couldn't believe that I forgot what my spiritual guides look like. And immediately I was drawn to, um, you know, before you enter this lifetime, you have a phase where you plan out your whole life and you chart everything out. So your guides are really your core team that you really plan everything with, along with your soul family, which I'll get into in a little bit. Uh, but um, I really saw my two spiritual guides and immediately as I saw them, I remembered the grand plan within this lifetime. And um, I couldn't believe that I was about to actually cross over and almost abandon that plan that was so well thought out and orchestrated and planned and talked about while I was uh, on the other side. But immediately after seeing my two spiritual entities and guides, I was able to really look at archangels within the background and they were just massive. Um, but as I was staring at the archangels, it was just almost too powerful for me to look at. Um, you know, from what I recall, everything was a brown gold like color. You know, the angels that I was seeing was brown and gold. The archangels were a different color, but um, you know, the, the overall viewpoint was a very brown goldish color. Um, and um, as I was looking at angels, all of a sudden I was put into almost like a, uh, like a womb, so to speak. And in that was my soul family. And they were just in this space 
uh, every single one of them. And I looked at them and I knew who they were. They were part of my team for many different lifetimes. And, you know, to me, the soul family and your spiritual guides are the closest extension of yourself. I like to call them people or individuals that are on the same uh, ray of light of God or that you are, the ray of God that you're on. And um, uh, as I looked at my soul family immediately, I remembered a lot of lifetimes that I had with each individual member. I, I recalled why they were there. I was able to look back uh, in their own records and to see what made them there and how we were uh, joined you know, as a family. So you know, the soul family is basically one big soul, uh, so to speak, and you're just a part of that. You know, it's, it's, it's an expression of God. Um, you know, to tell a quick story, I had an aunt on her deathbed when she was about to die, she told me that uh, if you ever look at a picture of a family, you know, there's a commonality that ties the, fami the family together if you look at the eyes of each member. I didn't re really recognize what she was talking about. And a year later, I had a reading and a woman said, why is your aunt telling me the word picture over and over again? So to me, self family is really an essence of who you are. And they come with many different, many similar themes that you have. And uh, many similar obstacles to overcome within this lifetime and many uh, similar gifts within this uh, lifetime. But as I was looking at them uh, and immediately I was drawn to the question as, as to what I would do within this lifetime uh, because I was just uh, in heaven and I had Christ consciousness and I was seeing my angels and my spiritual guides and my family is the most beautiful vista uh, of colors and sensations as you could possibly have. And uh, I asked what will be out of this lifetime because in order to, to leave the kingdom of God uh, and, and the other side, I, I wanted to make sure that this lifetime was worth it. Uh, so they said, do you really want to know? I said, sure. And then all of a sudden they, you know, showed me flashing imagery, imagery of what I would be doing in this lifetime. And then they also showed um, images of what happened before this lifetime. And I looked at my last carnation. I saw many people that I was involved with and I saw that I took my own life. So it's funny that I had a near-death experience because as you know, with my near-death experience, if I wasn't clear enough, um, what you do is uh, when you're in this vista of darkness, you do go into the light at the end of the tunnel. You race at a very insane speed and that's exactly what happened uh, when I crossed over to the other side. So to me, the allegory of the light at the end of the tunnel was something karmically for me to teach to other people because when I took my own life, I was immersed in that one moment. I, wouldn't, I wasn't able to see past uh, the darkness. And I think as spiritual beings, our greatest message and our greatest gifts is to understand that what you see today will always change. Change is the one remaining constant. And I think people get depressed or they get upset because they get caught up in whatever they see in the here and now, and they forget about the light at the end of the tunnel. That light is within, and that can be taken away ever. Uh, so for me, that was my understanding, but I also was drawn to a crowd of people, um, you know, that would be hearing this message. And um, I, I said, who am I to not turn this down? Whatever heaven is, uh, assistance in the earth plane and the elevation of souls uh, from this lifetime was so much more majestic than anything that I could have ever dreamed of. You know, so while I understood the challenges of holding on, I also saw the great rewards uh, that happened from living this life. And then immediately um, after I said that I was going to stay, um, everyone just began to vanish between my angels and guides and soul family uh, and archangel. And I was left with, you know, a human thought at that time of 
how do I know that this dream will happen? That, you know, I'll be talking in front of people, that people will hear the message and stuff like that. You know, my angels told me to watch my thoughts because my thoughts uh, become my reality in many regards. And uh, to understand the power uh, of positive thought and belief, you know, which is not necessarily knowing every single step of the way, but to still do something because you really believe in your own power and you believe in uh, the laws of nature, that things will work out. So uh, that's how we grow. Uh, if you know all the answers, we can't grow. So immediately I was put back on my bed and I was put back to this reality and I had to live a lifetime where I was very quiet about my experience. I wasn't able to really uh, describe into words as to what I experienced. And I thought words were very limiting and I thought a lot of people had what I had. I didn't recognize how powerful it was till I opened a couple of books on near-death experiences and there was such a diagnosis of it. I didn't know that the phenomenon existed, but uh, you know, I had to live a whole lifetime with that and uh, it's very special, but also uh, not the easiest thing to live with. I wouldn't recommend what I, whatever I went through to a lot of people, um, but it was meant to be, it was charted, uh, yeah. Um. Jake, you were mentioning the, about your soul family, about having a look at perhaps what many people would call those Akashic records, the records of different lifetimes to the lifetime that you were living now. And then you return here and kind of like you've got a mandate um, that perhaps was given to you by your guys and your angels to follow that through. Many people talk about mindfulness, yes? What does mindfulness mean to you and how does mindfulness play a role in everything that has happened to you and what you're actually doing now? Yeah, well, it's a nice question. Um, you know, what I do is uh, in my talks, I love giving my talks on my near-death experience because it gives people uh, a real understanding of what happens when we die and it really takes a lot of the stigma and fear away from death and to understand that death is something that we've done many times and it's nothing new to us as souls, uh, it, you know, and it's quite a deja vu like experience once we're there. We've been there so many times and it's very refreshing to people. Uh, but the piece that I was frustrated about was that um, this is all great, but what about uh, the moment to moment tools? Because this is something that we could give people at the, light of the tunnel, at the end of the tunnel and you could use it, sure, within struggle. But uh, what about emotional regulation? What about managing our own anxieties? What about finding you know, peace to our greatest abilities within a moment-to-moment -moment existence? And for me, you know, I look at it as you know, the near-death experiences that light at the end of the tunnel and mindfulness is the armor for the battle. It's really the tools. It's, it's the deeper tools that we have as foot soldiers to have within this lifetime. Uh, so to me, mindfulness, I always, I always say is being mindful. Uh, it's simply being present, being aware. Um, and I think the more um, present and aware, the more altruistic you are, meaning the more that you're able to connect with yourself and your environment. I think people get very frustrated when they get only consumed in their own thoughts, their own anxieties, their own worries, and they're becoming mindless because they're focusing on one aspect of themselves or one aspect of what's you know, a dysfunction without recognizing their own garden that they've had. So mindfulness is a very broad viewpoint of reality and of yourself. And it's a way for you to be fully immersed within this moment in time and space. Uh, so there's many techniques that I use with mindfulness, many techniques that are out there. 
but to me, the, the biggest key is your breath work. Um, I always say, you know, that uh, the breath is a real rhythm of our soul. And, uh, um, you know, once you're able to really connect to your breath and to be aware of it, you're being mindful. You know, you're being aware versus being mindless is just a product of your own anxiety and not really in a position where you understand what's going on and you have an understanding of your own thoughts with your own manifestations and your own physiological experience. So, um, you know, mindfulness to me is a wonderful tool for, for many, but uh, I think it, it, it's, it's about, a lot of it is about breath, breath work, you know, so focusing on breathing, doing breathing exercises, but it's something that one can implement on a day-to-day -day existence, you know, so when you see yourself going a thousand miles an hour, you know, almost reeling yourself in and recognize, wow, I'm going this fast. How do I find ways to really maximize this moment? What do I, what am I worrying about that's helping me within this here and now? And how could I maximize uh, my breath, myself, this moment? So mindfulness really allows people to master each moment, moment by moment, to be more present within their lives. I guess that for some of us that we are involved in this, um, type of learning, um, it takes place, but it's not as simple for others. It's not as simple perhaps for previous generations. And I could say for the generation that my parents were born or my late parents, where they didn't really understand that idea of the now. We were actually driven constantly to what's going to happen in the future. What are you going to be doing in five years time? How are you going to get to the next level? And that's something that I lived constantly. Um, since I was a child to, I don't know, my adolescence and even when I went to university, you're constant on that track of not the now, but what am I going to do now that it's going to get me there? And mm. that's an issue that it happens to many people and it happens to many young people now. People, they're finishing high school and they're moving on to college or to university. They're always looking for what's going to be happening in the future. We are bombarded in television by commercials that it tells you the sort of life that you should be living, the sort of car that you should be driving. And although you may not pay direct attention, your subconscious is actually taking all that on. Mm. So I guess that my, my question is, and it's, I know that it's a humongous question, how do we fix it? Because we need to go back to truly education in order to get us to where we need to be right here, right now, enjoying the moment and realizing how much worth this moment is without so much paying attention to the past and to the future. But in every job interview that I ever been, when I was in that field, they always ask you, what are you gonna be doing in five years time? What are you gonna be doing in 10 years time? So you are constantly being reprogrammed to get into that flow and taking us away from, from that idea that, you know what, we are souls living a human experience but we are also uh, living that experience, but pushed to forget about our souls. I was pushed by my parents to go to university. I ended up going to university and getting many degrees. And university tells you, you need to show me empirical evidence and it has to be clear. And uh, it has to be actually tested. And you go through all of that. And the university that I went to, which is it's kind of like a, a contrast, I went to Melbourne University and the logo of that university, you can Google it, is actually an angel. Hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. It's um, well, you said the right word is education. Um, I think for us, we're so wired to have uh, an education, like you said, which is go, 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 and it's contrary to our pace, no matter where you are in the world. Uh, you know, so I think for many people, the first step is to be open. If you can't change, if you're not open, you know, the second step, you know, is to recognize the concept of future and that each moment that you build builds your future. So mastery of this moment actually shapes your future. You limit your future. If you have one foot in your future, one foot in your past, and you're not, you're not there. So what I have to say is being a more present being, you know, requires you to master each moment and that builds and shapes your future. But uh, what it is, it's a discipline. It's a training. You know, it's no different than a kid learning how to swim and they go into the shallow aspects of the pool and then they go into the deeper aspects. So to me, mindfulness, you know, starts with people kind of, you know, going to the shallow aspects. And if you look at an ocean, it's very, you know, wavy at the surface and going crazy. And that's, you know, the first two brainwave frequencies that we have. And mindfulness really, you know, it's about going into that balance of awareness with relaxation. You know, so you don't want to be falling asleep. You don't want to be someone who doesn't do. So you want to, you know, be aware, but also understand uh, the power of, of getting into that third, you know, brainwave state. So it's a combination of the first three brainwave state and not one and two. So, um, you know, it's, it's going back between alpha, data, and, you know, all those. But um, what, what it is, it's, it's a discipline. Um, and I think for us, it's, you know, we're, we're taught things and we're taught to give up all our power to educators and to school systems. Mindfulness is very empowering. It tells us that, you know, there's no script to how we can handle our own emotions. That's on us. No one else can do that. And I think so many other people are looking to technology, to internet, to almost give ourselves over, to abduct in a way. You know, mindfulness is a way for us to get rooted and to take back, take back the power of our, our own emotions and our own selves. So, uh, it's not distracting, but it, it's, it's a real intense focus on who we are and our surroundings, and it slows things down. And I think a lot of people are afraid to approach themselves, and that's why so many people are having an external existence, and they're not going within, you know. But in order for you to have an external existence and to feel, you need to start within, and then you can really experience, you know, because uh, it's very hard to really be a part of where you are if you don't if you're not connected to yourself first. Yeah. So mindfulness is a discipline, definitely. Yeah, and as such, I've seen, particularly here in Australia, many uh, schools are actually taking on board the idea of showing young children how to meditate. And yeah. they start with about five minutes, and sometimes they go for about 15 and 20 minutes. And to me, that's a huge step forward into getting those children to realize that going within is going to be a reflection of what you actually put out and who is actually within your circle and how you're going to be able to shape perhaps not only your classroom, your family, your little town, your big city and the universe if you wanted to. Yeah, you know, I think as school systems, we're constantly wiring the left hemisphere of the brain you know, but, and kids are coming out with a lot of mental regurgitational information where a lot of it is memorized, you know, but when you graduate high school, you graduate college, 
you want to find some tools that you could succeed or, you know, tools for success. You want something within your backpack. And I think schools are giving kids a lot more by providing that, you know, in that it's increasing our own abilities to uh, handle the stimuli response dynamic where you have life circumstances such as uh, stress outside of you or situations that happen, you know, and mindfulness, you know, stretches out the elasticity of that stimuli versus your own response to it, you know, so not to be a product of what happens to you, but rather to have what happens to you and then have that pause or that gap period where you could react and you could really respond to what's going on versus just being a product of your environment or your uh, everything that's going around you and not really connected to your own abilities to view and handle your own emotions. So they're giving kids a lot by doing that and they're allowing people to really expand their abilities to handle life circumstances, but also the brain. You know, mindfulness is, in meditation has been proven to expand upon the elasticity of the brain, which is the flexibility of our own brains to handle circumstances, but also uh, really expands our brain in every shape and form. You know, it mm -hmm. maximizes our brain's capacity to handle stress, to retain information, to be concentrated, uh, to be present. So, uh, you know, you could talk to kids until they're blue in the face, but uh, if you don't know how to work the brain, um, how can we, we really be saying that we're getting the most of, out of our students? So they're giving kids a pamphlet and, you know, a learning tool to really, you know, manage your brain uh, and really learn how to make the most out of it. But, you know, diet's key, exercise is key. So many other aspects, you know, are involved within brain health. Having uh, vitamins such as fish oil or supplements like that is, is great for the brain. So... Uh, you know, there's so much, you know, we take care of our bodies and we, because we can physically see that, but with our brains, we're kind of neglectful in a way. We don't really see the importance of taking care of it, you know, but there's so many ways to really nurture it and, and maximize uh, our potential within it. Yes. Jake, what is your view? Um, and I know that you practice meditation, but some people out there, perhaps they say, oh, every time that I'm trying to meditate, um, I cannot empty my mind. Do you subscribe to the thought or to the school of thought that in order to meditate, you need to empty your mind? Well, I think what ha what's happening is a lot of people are implementing societal values on meditation where they're saying, if I'm not feeling like the Dalai Lama, or if I'm not feeling like I'm in the Himalayas, I'm not meditating. Uh, a lot of these people probably aren't meditating because they're judging rather than experiencing and they have a concept of perfection or success in the experience, but they don't understand that part, you know, perfection within meditation is doing the best that you can. The fact that you're meditating, the fact that you're breathing, the fact that you're alive is a miracle in itself. You know, so I think a lot of people, they're analyzing while meditating instead of just experiencing. Uh, so meditation, you know, is a vacation from the way that we operate on a moment-to-moment -moment existence. You know, in that you know, moment to moment, we're constantly judging, we're constantly evaluating, we're constantly thinking about how this person perceives us or how I'm doing within this activity, uh, if I'm perfect, if I'm dominant, if I'm, you know, and meditation laughs at that, you know, there's no such thing as perfect, there's no such thing as dominant, there's no such thing as the best or grand or great. Uh, there's some gurus out there who people think are great, but that's an illusion too. That, that means that that person is separate than us. Uh, which is limited thought. So uh, meditation is, is about experiencing. And uh, a lot of people fight what's called the monkey mind, which is the mind that's constantly racing and constantly going. And that's how we're kind of wired, especially if you live in a city, 
or uh, you know, in a place where it, you know that's just the pace. You know, that at times is the way that the mind goes. So rather than fighting it, um, you know, a part of you know really going deeper with anything in life or to expand is to recognize where you are. It's kind of like a dialectical behavioral therapy type technique where in order for someone to get out of quicksand, the first step is to recognize that you're in it so that you can get out of it. So I think for people is to form an awareness of your thoughts and what's going on in a non-judgmental, non-critical way, and then to not form associations or attachments to those thoughts, but rather just to experience your breath and to recognize the value of not forming attachments to all those thoughts and that they'll pass or expanded and relaxed. Thank you for that, Jake. I yeah, totally agree. Um, to me, when I meditate, I just allow myself to go where it takes me. And if thoughts come into my mind, I just put them in little different boxes and I analyze them later, just to keep on moving and I'm feeling what I need to feel at the time. And at times it could be me just sitting under the tree enjoying a cup of tea and truly looking at the leaves and having a look at the wonder that is in front of me. And it's as simple as that. And yeah, I don't put a value into what I need to actually get out of the experience. It's just much more, just going with it. Yeah, when you put a value limit. Uh, and I think a lot of people, that's a defense mechanism because they're, they're afraid of letting go. They're afraid of something new. You know, we're more attracted to stuff that we're used to versus stepping into healthy activities that, you know, could open us up. So it's the laws of familiars and how we're more comfortable doing what we're uh, comfortable with that may be really in the long run uncomfortable for us and unhealthy for us. Uh, and that comes from the point of change. It, it, you know, it's an openness. But as I said before, you know, when you're listening to the trees and when you're walking around, you know, that's the point of meditation is to take every moment as new uh, and not being that hamster on the wheel. And that's a form of enlightenment, you know. Um, so I think people really are able to be more present because they're coming from a cleaner slate and they're experiencing rather than going on their own experience in the past or what's going on. You're taking off that hamster wheel and you're living and you're experiencing the now uh, as it is. So that, that will open people up to change. Indeed. Jake, when you go into your lecture rooms and you do probably many of those, what is your primary objective? Yeah, well, I gave a lecture today uh, ironically, it was at a, a university, and um, short story, a kid was discussing that uh, he was having this kind of head tension that he was constantly having, and he said he wasn't sure if it was a third eye awakening or tension or stuff like that, and he said, how could I help this? How could I work with this? And I said, we live in a world of such diagnoses where everything has to be labeled or understood as this or that or that as that. You know, and a part of that is our own wantingness to really grasp everything, you know, but a part of it is when you're meditating is just, you know, you don't have to understand everything, but whatever is kind of painful to you or difficult, you let go, regardless of whatever label or understanding that you have of it. Uh, and your higher wisdom knows once you tap into it. But for me, my goal with when, when I go into a presentation, um, you know, it's different. If it's on my near-death experience, um, it's really connecting to the people and why they came here. You know, my favorite part of it is when people ask questions 
as they come with their own questions that they've been holding on. And it's a great relief once they're once these questions have been answered. You know, so many people come into talks with many different routes and many different uh, stories and many different uh, places where they're trying to find answers to. Uh, it's for me that's the greatest healing. You know, so to feel that elevation within the room, however that may be, uh, every talk is different. You know, is my goal. To me, it's about elevation. It's not about the number of talks that I do. It's not about the number of people that I reach. You know, the only thing that matters is elevation to me and increasing the vibrational frequency of participants in the room, so that uh, by choice they could take that with themselves within their weeks, within their lives, and that could have a ripple effect within their communities. But to me. I don't get involved in numbers. I don't get involved in results. I don't get involved in these things. I get involved in overall rise and growth, you know, because that's why we're here. And that's what people, what, that's why we're all here to help out each other uh, for. So I think, you know, many people get involved with age. They say, okay, this person lived 90 years. When you cross over, it's all about, okay, how high or how far did your soul soar within that lifetime. You could have had four years and you really elevated that piece and you're in a whole different dimension on the other side uh, and you're a lot more comfortable. So to me, I really get involved in, uh, my goal is evolvement and rising a lot of vibrational frequency of how many, how, however or whoever I may, I was destined to reach. Uh, and that's, that's probably that meeting that you have with your guides and when they show you the snapshots of what your life is going to be like, yeah. that you actually paid attention and perhaps your higher self, your soul, had an imprint of that that it catapulted you to go there. Jake, in this age of technology, well, have a look at us. We're talking here and sharing all our information in, a, in an environment such as this one, and Zoom, or it could be Skype, or it could be the phones. And, well... I learned to type in a typewriter last century, yes. Uh, kids nowadays, they are born with an iPad and I have a little niece in Sydney that I wasn't able to download an app on my iPhone and she said to me, I can download it for you. Hmm. That idea that these kids understand technology so well, but are we losing that human connection because we're constantly looking down on our phone or constantly even expressing emotion through a phone rather than you're sitting next to the person, why don't you just tell them? Yeah. Um, my favorite author and spiritual teacher of all time is named Shirley MacLaine. She also has the same <laughs> birthday as me, April 24th. A couple of years earlier though, uh, my favorite book of all time, not by her, but in general, is a book called Out on a Limb. And if anyone's listening, I highly recommend taking a look at Out on a Limb. And out on a limb, one of the sayings in the book was, uh, Shirley was with, uh, I believe it was like a trans channeler, uh, but, or it could have been an extraterrestrial, not exactly sure. Uh, or it could have been her friend, David, it doesn't matter. But one of the sayings within the books was, uh, technology with God uh, is indestructible. Technology without God and understanding of God is destructive. Meaning technology or the higher wisdom that we have within our own infrastructures, within our own, uh, you know, internet, within our own man-made stuff, which is really from other, you know, dimensions that we've put in here. And once we carry it for the greater good, and once we understand where, who it all comes from, where it all goes to, then it's good. Once we start competing with God within our own advancements, 
that's when we don't care about our environment. We don't care about what we do to one another. And it's all about, you know, human beings trying to outcompete other human beings without an understanding of what is this all about and where does this all come from? So I think when you look at technology as a way for us, for the world to be a more of a spiritual civilization, a world that's closer, a world that's working with parallel within our own advancements in a humble way, and you know, almost recognizing that we're you know, kind of like on the stage and we're being guided and stuff like that uh, in this symphony, you know, then it's a beautiful situation. But once we divide ourselves, uh, as individuals, we try to compete with God with our advancements. That's when ego gets in the way, and that's what destroyed a place like Atlantis. You know, the lost city of Atlantis was destroyed by, uh, you know, and I, I had a lifetime in Atlantis that I connected to as well, uh, but Atlantis was destroyed by human advancement without an understanding or appreciation of God or God force. Or uh, So it's, you know, go forward, but don't forget where you came from. Don't forget where it all goes to. Don't forget the source of all, uh, you know, is a message of advancement. So it's a great test to all of us as human beings if we handle it the right way. But as we say, plenty, plenty are not, <laughs> but plenty are. And, uh, you know, that's the laws of polarity. When you have, you also have a have not. You wouldn't have without the have not. You know, that's the polar force of the universe. Yeah. Steve, we were talking about education and trying to give the younger generation a pathway that is a little bit more um, understanding that spirituality and putting that together into living in the now. But by the same token, these kids are so enlightened and they know so much, they're able to dig a little bit deeper into the soul and bring that out. But you still see a disconnection. I was working in Hong Kong a few years ago and I was just crossing to Hong Kong Island in a building and see a whole huge of people. And that's a building that I've actually needed to go in. Mm -hmm. And I said to the security guard, why are these people queuing? And he said to me, oh, the new iPhone is being released and they've been queuing here, uh, queue after queue for four floors to actually be, I don't know, one of the first ones to buy that phone. Mm. And that actually truly blew my mind and probably in not the best way. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, a lot of people are abandoning the soul. They really are having this external existence where everything is banked on stuff outside of yourself. And uh, materialism or these technological advancements are a great test to us. You know, if we learn to walk in parallel with them, uh, with our souls, within our spiritual beatings, you know, it's great. It's almost like our body. I think if you understand your body as a vehicle, then you'll understand all other physical physicality or advancements as just a vehicle for your advancements of your soul. But a lot of people are just there. There's that disconnect. And, uh, you know, it's, it's unfortunate because there's great passion. There's great energy. These people are waiting on lines for stuff. So there's drive. It's just misguided. It's, it's just skewed in the wrong direction. Uh, there's great advancement, there's great knowledge, there's great understanding, but, um, you know, from an emotional, spiritual level, a lot of these people are like three and four-year-olds, really. They're very young and they need to develop, uh, you know, they need to really develop emotionally, spiritually, psychologically a lot further than just, you know, bandwagon on all these things or uh, being kind of like McDonald's with the way that the brain works, which is just memorizing stuff or knowing the next thing or whatever's happened, but 
not really having a slow cooked uh, brain which stores and holds and retains and learns how to love and feel and uh, it's unfortunate but uh, you know they should have a lot of these camps where kids are really connected to nature or other forces where they're learning how to feel and uh, use other aspects of their being versus just having this limited uh, mindless existence but that's out there yeah it, it, it is out there but it just feel like that day to me felt like there was a huge puppeteer and it was pulling the strings for all these people to be there to buy a product and that at the end of the day it's like and i've been there when i was young you always want the latest thing the latest brand but as you get older you start thinking really if you want me to wear a pair of sunglasses with a brand on the side that is this huge you better pay me because i've got other things to do than to publicize somebody else's products in a way that you're actually in order for me to publicize that you're actually getting me to pay money for it rather than me paying money for something that will actually make me feel a little bit better in this advancing world and i'm not bashing advancement here because we're having this conversation due to the advance in technology absolutely and, but it's the idea that say i don't know i don't need to wear a t-shirt that it has a brand on it well, like anything else, you always have the high road to choose or the low road, you know, but a lot of this is inspirational for us spiritual seekers because it gives us a lot more fuel for our work. You know, I think if, if, you know, we either run towards what we want or we're running away from what that, which we don't want and it's, and it's painful. Uh, so for you, it sounded like this was like an aha moment or almost like awakening in a way. So enlightenment isn't always honky dory and peaceful and stuff like that. A lot of it could be very painful, you know, but it's needed to take you off your path into another higher path and to recognize, wow, there's so much more that I need to give. And even if I don't think that, let's say this is helpful, I'm looking what's out there and you know, maybe I'm not Neil Donald Walsh or the Dalai Lama or whoever, but you know something, my words are needed, you know, because yes. right now there's a lot of dysfunction. There's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of disconnect. And who am I to turn down that opportunity to at least try to uh, make a change? And ultimately change happens when, whenever the person wants it to happen. But we have to throw out at least these filters, you know, for, for things to happen so that there's more of an opportunity, you know, so wherever this conversation may go, it may be, it reaches one person, that was it, but at least we had an opportunity uh, and we're not neglectful of people out there, you know, yes. that's the way we can to get the message out there. You know, we're not forceful of it, but we're providing opportunity and access. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when so I wrote my first book, I was talking to my angels and I said, well, who am I to write a book? And exactly what you said. And they said to me, if it reaches only one person, job well done. So that's what you're guided to do, go for yeah. it. Uh, there's only one Dalai Lama. And what would you want to be the Dalai Lama when there's only one of you, be you? That's right, that's right, that's right. And uh, you know, I think you make a great point. People really do sell those, themselves short, but they also um, have a lot of narratives and who they think they are. You know, I think I, I work, you know, as a therapist full time, you know, this is a, a large part of my work is the stories and stuff that we think that who we think that we are. And I think 
uh, for me, the changing point was once I had my spiritual enlightenment about five or six years ago, when I was literally out of my body for about three weeks, uh, and I connected to you name it. And for me, that told me that uh, it was a reminder, okay, of what spiritual forces you have in your own backyard. And I swear to you, you could have the greatest, whatever you name it, but uh, the ultimate uh, palace is within. You know, and many people ask me what heaven's like, and I could go, I could go through the geological contours of what it looks like, and I, you know, I was kind of short with my descriptive of it because we were limited on time, and so much to do, so little time. Uh, what I have to say is the ultimate heaven is you, mm. you know, because when you think of that rich person in the castle, if they're empty, they're not going to enjoy it. Physicality will not have a whole new form. Now, if you're very well connected, you know, that's your eternity. That's who you are. You know, so you take you with you. You can't hide from you. So your connection to yourself is the ultimate uh, bliss is what I really do believe from my experience. Uh, you know, that's, that's the rich and depth of heaven you know, is your own elevation that happens within this lifetime and your relationship with yourself. You know? I think that sometimes we want to know what heaven looks like because we're constantly reminded that we are surrounded by things perhaps that we don't want rather than uh, making an effort to truly surround yourself with perhaps things that you want but that you need and people that really want to be a part of your life because you've got something to offer and they're offering something back to you. That soul-to-soul -soul connection, that idea of um, listening with your full body, not your ears, if mm -hmm. you know what I mean. Mm. Yeah, well, it's also like saying like, you know, being in a great place will make us great or having a great job or something external. You know, today I went to a supermarket and I saw a man who was pushing carts this man had a smile on his face. He was enjoying the day. There, the sun was out and he was, he said hi to me. Yeah, versus a guy on Wall Street who's walking around, you know, and not all of them are like that. There's plenty of people walking Wall Street or some of the happiest people out there. But, you know, someone who has a high stress, high taxing job, who's not happy with what he has. And he's got the greatest home, but it's all stone, empty existence. So I think it's very little to do with, you know, an environment is, 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 is important, but it's so much to do with how we perceive and our attitude towards whatever. Absolutely. Um, I couldn't more. Absolutely. The other yes. side is no different. Yeah. I was on a project a few years ago in the Maldives, and immediately after that, I needed to go to a tiny little island in the South Pacific called Tuvalu. So I went from the sublime to perhaps the not so sublime on the other side of the world. And I was walking along. And I saw this elderly couple under a, under a little tarpaulin, a little plastic thing. And they were looking at the beautiful water of the South Pacific. And I just thought, oh, poor things. And they just turned around, they looked at me, and they gave me, they didn't have any teeth, but they gave me this beaming smile. That's and it. I just thought, Raul, what an arrogant so-and-so are you? To think <laughs> that they were having a really bad time when they were truly in the moment, enjoying it. And I will never forget those smiles there that engraved in my brain. And it was another aha moment that you realize, okay, have a look at it. So many people work in Wall Street for years to retire in an island and there they were. Well, again, that's our existence. That's bas basking everything on the future and uh, retirement is the goal, but the, you know, the journey doesn't mean much. The path doesn't mean much. Yes. And, uh, you know, the only thing that we can guarantee right now is, 
this moment in space and time and our connections with our family and uh, you never know what life will bring you and this is all you really have so i think that the, that couple was a great teacher to you and it's not to yes. yourself you know smiles could be a great educational point to us to recognize okay you know it's not as bad as i'm making it and what's the worst thing that could happen you know we, smiling is doesn't take too much and yeah. uh, they were they're great teachers to you yeah oh i'm i'm forever grateful um jake we're coming to the end of our length of conversation believe it or not time has just flown by um, <laughs> before before we go uh, perhaps tell our viewers or our listeners as well uh, if they would like to reach out to you how they can actually get in, in contact with you please absolutely so um you know thank you so much for asking i do have a website uh, that's on the internet. It's, uh, I, I use the internet for the greater good. It's, yes, uh, yes. it's www.jacobstory.com. So it's Jacob and then story. So jacobstory.com and feel free to find me there. And if you're interested in contacting me, there's a contact button and just push it and send me an email. I get a lot on a regular basis, but I always respond to, to my emails. Uh, it's one of the things that I take pride in, and uh, it's very important to me, uh, you know, responding to emails when I can. Uh, but you'll see an event page, you'll see a radio page, you'll see a media page. Uh, actually, this Thursday night, I'm going to be on cable television on a show, and people could see the link this Thursday night. It's a wonderful television program on cable uh, on, what, on what happens when we die and how to uh, make sense of the hereafter and bring that uh, into into our lives and it's going to be great and uh you know there's a couple other events and people catch this show on my page if they missed it and look on the archives on my radio section so uh there's a lot of good material there yeah excellent so jake um final question when are we going to see you in australia <laughs> well i really have to finish my book to to, to get there uh, to me, I think I, I do feel that I will be there. I have been there. I think we all have been there. Uh, I could spin that back on you when I'm going to see you in, in New York, but I would love to be in Australia. I, it's, it's a very special place. And uh, anyone that I speak to, nothing but 100% positive feedback and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's not an easy plane ride, but it's well worth it. It's <laughs> a plane ride at all. But... Um, yeah, you will enjoy the atmosphere of the country. It's a beautiful country, uh, beautiful places, and a lot of people that will actually embrace what you have to share. Oh, I'll be there. You know, right time, right place. Uh, it will happen. And uh, I'm a young guy, so I have my whole life ahead. The world is my oyster, so I know it's 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 going to happen. It's just uh, when I'm ready. You know, when it's yeah. right. You know. And when you're ready and tried, we'll be ready right here waiting for you. <laughs> Jay Cooper, thank you so much for having a chat with us on Enlightened Conversation. We wish you all the best for the future and um, thank you. Thank you. What an honor and we'll speak soon, my friend. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you.